Welcome back, one and all. It is Season 6, Episode 3 of Master and Commander. And this week we have an interesting throwback to something that we both kind of hated. Well, you mostly hated. I hated a different card. Oh, well, I mean, I mostly hated. You're correct. But yeah. I think we had, like, an agreement that we both kind of hated this card. Well, because it's a piece of shit. It is. Uh, if you don't know who we are and don't know why we're so angry, we are Master and Commander. And every single week we bring the loyal audience, that is you guys, uh, a new deck built from three random cards that we decide at the end of each episode. The format of our decks is always going to be 2DH, which means our commander has to be $5 or less, and every card in the deck has to be $2 or less. This is for you budget players or people who just want to try something new in their local game store. And this week, we have a weird list, as we always do. Um, do you have anything to, to say before we get right into the, uh, the nonsense? I think this deck's actually pretty good. I think it's pretty cool. I think it's weird, though. I, the idea of this deck is really... It's got my juices flowing. It like does. I, I when, think... when I started building this, I was like, holy, this is actually kind of a neat idea. I don't know if we've if we've really fleshed out the whole idea, but I think we've put together an, a rough idea of a deck that you might be able to turn into something cooler. You know, actually, I agree with that, and to the point where we didn't build this deck together, we kind of built it separately, piece by piece, and we kind of just threw it together. Um, and I think that you're going to have stuff that you put in the deck that I didn't see, and I'm going to have stuff that you didn't see, because I yeah. know there's one thing in here that I don't think you, you've seen yet, uh, that you're going to be... It's going to get your giblets rustled, let's just say that. Oh, my giblets are rustling already. Get, get them nice and rustled. Okay, so let's start off with the commander here. Now, normally we start off with the three featured cards, but I think the elephant in the room needs to be addressed. The commander. Yeah. So. This, this is big. We might have pooped on this. I might have pooped. You know, I'm going to take it. I'm going to take full credit for this. I pooped on this card real good. I also our, did. I also did some poo on it as well. In our M20 Master and Commander set review. You should check that video out. And. It's Kalia. It's it Kalia Xenus Seeker. She's shit. She is not good. But here's the thing. We are men of science. And yes. when we see a card like this that's terrible, we ask ourselves, could it be good? If Kalia is not good in this deck, which I would argue is built around it almost to a fault, if she's not good here, she's not good anywhere. Uh, so, yep. good luck building her. Um, if she doesn't work here, although I'm going to say it kind of looks promising. The deck looks pretty interesting. I just don't know if she's that good in it, but well, it's built for her. So. We're, when we talk about the deck, um, I think we're going to be able to make a case as to why she is probably the best commander for this deck. Yeah, I, I think it's I think it's close um, between her and a couple others, but I think she definitely makes makes the at least top three and she makes the cut. So we can chat about that. But let's talk about why we got these cards in our uh, – why we're using Kalia and why we're going to be using the strategies we're using. And that's going to be because, be because of the three random cards that we got at the end of last week's episode. They weren't – they didn't start off good. Let's put it that way. It didn't look like a very good start. I don't think we were so optimistic last week. Would you agree with me? Uh, 
yeah, last week I was looking at these and I had like a rough idea what we could kind of half-ass do, but there was a lot of disparity between Slice and Dice and Amiri Angel. That, that was not an okay time. So our first card being Slice and Dice costs six mana, four and two red for a sorcery. It says Slice and Dice deals four damage to each creature. That's a board clear. It's okay. It's kind of expensive, but it is cycling for two and a red. When you cycle Slice and Dice, you have a deal one damage to each creature which we looked at and we're like, that's not a great card. Um, it's got cycling, so you can pitch it, but overall it doesn't have the greatest damage to mana ratio. Yeah, now I play a lot of damage-based um, board sweepers. This would never make it into the deck. At six mana for four damage, that's not happening, no. especially at sorcery speed. If it was six mana for four damage at instant speed, then I would I would put it in. I mean, for the same price as Slice and Dice, you can play Wildfire. Um, well, the same price as Slice and Dice, you can play... Um, is it... It's not Earthquake, it's the other one. A Fault Line. Fault Line is instant speed. You'd still deal four damage. you just hit everybody that's on the ground and no flyers. So there's a lot that you could do here. I don't know. Slice and Dice was not the greatest. Now, we were already not super high on Slice and Dice, and then... I was got super high last week. Pardon? I was super high last week. I I was not super high on the card. Uh, oh. We we got another card which was not the greatest synergy with with slice and dice, and that is a Myria Angel. Oh Lost yeah. Two and double white, so four in total for a three three flyer. Uh, this is landfall. Whenever land enters the battlefield under your control, create a one one white bird creature token with flying. So slice and dice kills everything. Yeah. So slice and dice gets the new ability of pay. Uh, one red and two, cycle this card, and waste all of that time that you'd spent making guys. Yeah, you, and it's like, see, I think we even mentioned this last week, of Slice and Dice hits everything everywhere, not just on the not just on the ground like a lot of those spells do. That's so why Fault Line would be better. You couldn't even escape it. But anyway, we'll, you know what? We're going to see why we got to use uh, Slice and Dice to, to, to some good effect. But Amira Angel, so, so Landfall shenanigans, Slice and Dice from Cycling. And a final card, I would say that these are the kind of cards that, for me personally, this is how a deck is built. Because this next card doesn't seem like it's build around y It just seems like, okay, that's a solid card. But this is the card that, at least for me, was how I came to the conclusion of what we were going to play. Um, and that's Bogarden Hellkite. Oh, yeah. So my Timmy Boner's raging right now. It's raging for this 5-5 flash-flying dragon that when it enters the battlefield it deals five damage divided as you choose among any number of target creatures and or players and it costs two red and six this like this is the perfect card for if you're 11 years old or if you're my age and you act like an 11 year old because like you're like holy crap i'm gonna kill everybody with this fucking guy and you probably will but when our hell gets big um i'm just gonna throw in here a quick uh, aside on bogarden hellkite uh, many people do not know the history of this card. This card was a very, very potent, I believe it was an extended deck, um, the Dragonstorm deck. So uh, unlike the other Storm decks where you try to, like, you know, weasel them down and then hit them for, like, one damage at a time with your Grape Shots or two damage with your Tendrils, uh, Bogarden Hellkite, you play before Bogarden Hellkite in your deck, and then you play Dra Dragonstorm. And you get okay. your so, Storm up to four and then Dragonstorm yeah. them to death. So we were playing yesterday, uh... Our friend Andrew sat down with a Dragonstorm deck, and he 
racks up his storm count to I think it was seven, and then he casts Dragon Storm, and with Dragon Storm on the stack, uh, our other friend Ben casts Containment Priest, and then that was the end of the Dragon Storm. <clears throat> Andrew failed to find any dragons in his deck. It that's, was that's a very it, sad story. It, it was hilarious. And then we had another friend at the table who was playing the new legendary wall that makes it so you can only attack one way. Well, he had cast that, and then he had spark doubled it so you couldn't attack either way. And then he flickered those two, thinking that at the end of the turn they were going to come back in and protect him again, except for Containment Priest was still on the battlefield. So that was the most work I'd ever seen a Containment Priest do. Yeah, Containment Priest is actually a house. I also have crazy stars for Containment Priest. I won't tell them all, but I've... Definitely got into a top eight uh, of uh, a standard event where there was it wasn't containment priest it was in the the spell that does the containment priest thing where it's like two mana creatures coming in just get exiled instead like draw a card or whatever. Um, my opponent had the Eldrazi the three mana one that you can pay uh, like three mana to flick or something. Yeah, yeah, the displacement one. Yeah, so I so he goes. Uh, so I don't remember how was the thing. So he wanted to get some value on his turn, and we, this was like super late game. Um, and he goes, "I'm going to pay three and flicker this guy." And I say, "Okay." In response, I'm going to cast that spell. So I'm going to exile the guy when he comes in. And he said, "In response, I'm going to flicker the rest of my guys." So he was like three more guys. And I go, "In response, I'm going to cast a second one." No. <laughs> and he just his board was. I was losing that game. He did not need that value, and he lost game three because he was so greedy to the nice. point where I just killed him with two tech cards and that was that game. <laughs> that was good. That was a really good feeling. That's funny. Um anyway. Alright, back to work. Back to work, back to work. Back so to- those are our three cards, Slice and Dice, Bogard and Hellkite, and Amiria Angel. And let's talk about what we're gonna do with them. <clears throat> so this is segment two. These are our deck themes. These are basically how we're gonna categorize and break down the deck for each card and try to make sure that they all kind of work smoothly together. Theme one. Also, take a guess who made the theme names for this week. Well, I'm going to guess it was you, because they're terrible. Theme one. Call me a dishwasher, because I'm cycling. That, I... It's a good name. I well, couldn't think about... of any other electronic things that cycle. What about Lance Armstrong? Like, a cyclist? Oh, okay, my other th- thing was going to be... Um, the the other annoying cycling. Menstrual cycling? No. What? The, uh, the cyclists. What cyclists? The ones on the road. Oh, yeah, that's They're like Lance annoying. Armstrong. Yeah, he's annoying. Oh, so this is why. Anyway, I, I can't so call let me a dishwasher because you... I'm cycling. You're terrible. This is going to be our cycling package, and Wizards has been so kind as to print some more uh, some more engine pieces for it, some more payoff cards for cycling i'm actually surprised that there's really not that many payoff cards for cycling it's like, it, i think it's because of what cycling is though maybe because it's it's low cost like it's a low low investment um ability because it's not like you're using cards to do anything no so it's imagine if they printed like really really high quality um cycling benefits well the problem is cycling lets you draw into those benefits easier and quickly. So you don't have to run tutors. Uh, you can just kind of cycle into it. It's the exact thing that um, Living End does in Modern. 
Well, I just don't think that normally when when they do something like this, they would print a cycle of. I don't know. It's funny that we say cycle, but they print like a one for each color type thing. And there was only ever really Astral Slide and Lightning Rift. They didn't. I don't think there was a black, green, or blue one. Then they easily could have done like a green one where whenever you cycle a card, if you pay two or three, you can go and search for a land. I like getting something. Yeah, or um, uh, for black, it would be whenever you cycle a card, if you pay one black, you can return target creature card from your graveyard to your hand. That would be insane. That one probably would be insane because then you'd just loop back all the cycling dudes that you put in the yeah. bin. But probably a bit much. But I mean, like, like black could be like whenever you cycle a card, each player discards a card or something like that. Ah, uh, you couldn't do that, no, because then you yeah. you can only make other players discard at uh, sorcery speed. That's not true. There's like very few cards that'll allow you to do it. Words of waste. Speed. Words of waste is one. That's why I said very few. I didn't say there was none. But like it's it the, the and the trade off for words of waste is huge. Yeah, but I think the trade off for because I mean words of waste the trade off is you don't get a card. I mean if you're forced to discard it to card two. Yeah, anyway. that's that's pretty broken. But anyway, whatever. Back so back to work. For uh for the cycling, there are three main cards that benefit off of cycling that are like the known ones. Uh, there's the newest one. Actually, we'll go with the older one first. The older one is Astral Slide. It costs two and a white. Enchantment, whenever a player cycles a card, you may remove target creature from the game. If you do, return that creature to play uh, under its con- owner control at the end of turn. New card, Astral Drift, does the exact same thing, uh, except it, you can cycle it for three. You can cycle it for two and a white, costs three mana, it's the exact same card. Yep. And then finally, you have um, Lightning Rift. So it's one and a red for uh, whenever a player cycles a card, you may pay one if you do, Lightning Rift deals two damage to target creature or player. Nice now, way to... The Lightning Rift is just a bit of like icing on the cake, but our, our two main cards here, the Astral Drift or the Astral Slide, and that's basically... Those two cards are the linchpins of this deck. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, without these two cards, uh, this deck is just a hot pile of shit. Um, and... It's these two cards that allowed us to use Kalia, like to give her this second chance. So the goal here is with Kalia's ability, um, whenever she enters the battlefield, look at the top six cards of your library. You can reveal an angel, a demon, and a dragon from among the six cards, put them in your hand, put the rest in the bottom in any order. So your goal is to basically, throughout the turn cycles, just cycle as much of your stuff as you can and then dig through your deck to find whatever, you know, whatever big beater that you <laughs> want to have. Yeah. The main goal, in my opinion, is to use Kalia, cycle, and dig, 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 get Garden Hellkite, and then go to town. And for those of you who aren't super worried about Astral Slide being like, ah, eh, how bad could it really be? Um, keep one thing in mind. One of the best decks in Extended, and keep in mind, Extended was a mess. The decks in, were insane. You had, like, Turbo Depths with, you know, Dark Depths and um, Hex, the Hex Witch Chick, Vampire Hex Mage. You have these insane decks that are super linear, absolutely busted. Uh, Astral Slide was in there as one of them. This is because you would play Astral Slide, and you're playing cards that you think, oh, wow, that card sucks. Tarot's Faithful. I think it's a... It's a two mana, one four that gains four when it comes into play. 
Well, the problem was the slide deck would play multiple slides and it would go, okay, you're going to combat. Great. I'm going to pay one slide out all of your creatures and then slide out my terrorist faithful to gain four. And at the end of your turn, I'm going to do it again. <laughs> so like they would just keep, keep you off of everything constantly. Um, and this deck can do that. There's enough cyclos in here that you can keep problem threats away. You can kill tokens. Uh, you can get rid of problem attackers. There are a lot of creatures that gain bonuses over time. You can just get rid of them. Uh, so Astral Slide is, is no joke. Astral Drift makes it even better because Astral Drift is just a better card. But don't underestimate the power of this card. In 2002, this was one of the problem decks in the format. You'd go up against Astral Slide just as, you know, back five years ago, you'd play against Jund and you'd be like, man, this is the boogeyman. I hate this deck. Oh, I, 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 played, I played in Standard during the Astral Slide days. Like, that's, yeah, I used to play in Standard back then. It's, it is, like, definitely a... Okay, the one thing I thought was kind of funny, though, the, uh, the Extended deck played uh, Slice and Dice. Oh, that's terrible. But it had to. There weren't enough uh, cards. But it just shows you how broken Astral Side was. They could play Slice and Dice. Yeah. And deck was still good enough to fight the best of them. Um, but eventually the deck did get way, way better uh, over time. You know, and, it, and then they started playing way more obnoxious stuff, like Solitary Confinement and nonsense. So anyway, don't sleep uh, on uh, Astral no. Side. Also, don't sleep on Tectonic Reformation. I, I, it's impossible to sleep on that card. So, Tectonic Reformation is from Modern Horizons. It's one red and one colorless for an enchantment that says each land card in your hand has cycling for red. And, or, you can just cycle this thing for two. Mm -hmm. So, this... Um, and it made my land count on this deck a little bit skewed because I wanted to put in some extra reds just to make sure that we would always be able to, to cycle if we needed to. But, yeah, I, this card, I think, is amazing. I, when I saw it spoiled in Modern Horizons, I was like, yeah... We've talked about this card a lot. It's, we have. It's, it's really good. It's a very strong card. I mean, I think it's, again, personally, I'll state it again, I think it's now a staple in Mono Red. If you're playing Mono Red, you should be playing Tectonic Rift. If you're playing Red, you should be playing Tectonic uh, Reformation. I, I don't think there's a reason not to. Yeah. No. Every Red deck that I will ever play from now on, likely to have this card in it. And it might get to the point where it's like, man, I just don't want to put this in another deck because it's too good. It's like, like Villas in Black decks. And so... So All right. the, the whole the whole hold on the whole Villas thing, I have I have one copy and I keep wanting to put it in decks, but I'm trying to find the perfect home for it, and because of that, it's sitting on my desk. Yeah, I've it's, had that. It's too. so like it's so good, and it can go in everything, and because of that, it goes in nothing. Gone in nothing. Yeah. Our third card here is a card that you guys in standard uh, standards past might be a little more familiar with in the cycling days. I think there was a little bit of a cycling deck in standard. Uh, this is Arcfiend of Ifnir. I love this three, card. Three and two black for a demon. So again, Callie finds it. It's a five four with flying. Whenever you cycle or discard another card, put a minus one minus one counter on each creature your opponent's control, and it has cycling for two. Yeah. You cycle. Yeah. Three cards. Let's say you just go to the end of your turn and you cycle three cards. You're probably just killing everything your opponent's control. Um, this is actually one of my top picks, so let's skip this one for now yep. uh, because I'd like to come back to it because I, I, I legit love this card. It's really good. Yeah. So that's theme one. So this is going to be cycling, and this is going to be able to blink our Kalia. This is where we thought, okay, Kalia is going to be great here because we can just keep blinking her every turn. There's some really cool nonsense you can do. But now the question is, all right, 
well, we have Kalia in the deck, and we also have a Myria Angel. What can we do with those? And that brought us to theme two, Dungeons and Dragons and Angels and Demons. This was actually an okay title for this this one, so I'm not going to... I'm not gonna shit on you too hard for this one. You'll, you're the last one. You're gonna you're gonna be really pooping on me. Probably. Uh, so this theme here is all. It's just gonna be about making sure Kalia has targets. Amiria Angel is one of those targets. Don't worry, we didn't forget about her. There's some spooky stuff that we're gonna be doing in our top picks uh, to talk about Amiria Angel. I got a little bit of se- sexy technology, but basically, you've got some strong demons, dragons, and angels that. Kalia can find. Unlike the previous Kalia, you're not just looking for the biggest, baddest guy on the block, because they don't go right into play. They don't go in attacking. You're not going to be just slamming Runescar Demon, even though that card's like $5 now anyways. Um, you're not going to be doing that. Instead, you want to find quality cards that you can use over time. I think the biggest uh, difference between this Kalia and the old Kalia, old Kalia burst you down, this Kalia does not. This is more of like a accrue value over time, Kalia. The previous Kalia was like, I'll throw some prison cards in, I'll throw some mana rocks in, I'll chuck her on turn three, I'll attack, I'll play a Runescar Demon, and then they're dead. Yep. So, in this theme, I picked one angel, a demon, and an angel. Sorry, an angel, demon, and uh, a dragon. But no dungeons. But no dungeons. No, no, no. No Dungeons dungeons just for me. So, our first demon is a demon that I almost had as my top pick, just because I really like this card. I love and it. I wish and it, it saw terrifies more play. me. I every time I see it, I get scared. It's so it's such a good card, and it's played in nothing. And I like every time I see a mono black deck, every time I see someone playing demons, I ask, like, hey, you you got you got the Reaper from the Abyss in there? And they're like, What's that card? And it makes me so sad. Yeah. No, every time I've seen this thing on the table, no one remembers what it does. So then they do a bunch of stupid things, and then at the end of their turn, the Reaper of the Abyss player goes, oh, and uh, I'll fucking kill that thing. And people are like, yeah, with what? And then he goes, oh, with my demon that's been sitting here since my turn, and I'm going to kill your shit. Reaper of the Abyss costs, yeah. costs six, costs three in triple black for a 6-6 six, six flyer, and it has morbid. When's the last time you saw that ability? At the beginning Tragic of each end step, if a creature died this turn... Destroy target non-demon creature. Every turn, not your turn, at the beginning of each end step. Yeah. So that that player over there who sacrificed their Sakura Tribe Elder to trigger their Omnath, that's nice. I'm gonna kill your Omnath. <laughs> that that player who you know said, "Oh hey, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna block with my Solemn Simulacrum. Could you attack me real quick just so I can get this? Don't worry, I won't block with anything important. Well, I'm gonna kill what's important." Yeah. You, don't even, you don't even have to kill the thing that they've played or, or, or whoever creature died. If you sacrifice a creature, you can blow something up. Anything. It's so good. So good. It's And the only restriction is non-demon. It's not even non-black. Yeah. <laughs> like, this is this is pretty nutty. I like um, it. You do have to destroy something. That's the only downside. But, man, when's the last time you've been playing an EDH game when no, one, no opponents had any creatures? Like, they might not have creatures now after Reaper from the Abyss, but please, put this in your black decks. This card costs a dollar and 45 cents. It's that much, eh? I mean, it's good. People who play it know it's good. Right. It's also only printed twice, and it's a mythic in both. Ah, okay. But anyway, the card card is sweet. Please pick yourself up a copy. 
Put them in your black decks. It is worth it. It's a huge creature as well. Six mana, six, six flyer. Anyway. Yeah. Now that casting cost is pretty steep, but, you know, it's a deal. Your mono black's not bad. No. And that, that you're exactly right. It's not that big a deal. Just give it a shot. You'll like it. And fuck, find a way to sneak it out. Yeah. It's not like Mono Black's got no ways to sneak dudes out of the bin. I wonder if you could reanimate it. Hmm. That might work. Uh, why don't you lead us off with the next one? You're the one who uh, who put this card in here. So uh, tell us about Amiria Shepherd. Amiria Shepherd. I love the Amiria Shepherd. My favorite thing to do with Amiria Shepherd is to play Secure Tribe Elder and take every planes out of your deck. Um. So Amiria Shepard's a 4-4 for a Flying Angel. She's two white, five colorless, flying, landfall. Whenever a land enters the battlefield under your control, you may return target non-land permanent card from your graveyard to your hand. If that land is a plains, you may return that non-land permanent card to the battlefield instead. So the tricky thing I used to do is I would play this, I'd play Secure Tribe Elder, I'd sack it, go get a plains, Put the tribe elder back into play, sack it, go get a planes. Never even that. thought of that. That's insane. Oh, yeah. yeah, it's ridiculous. That's, I'm baffled. Wow. Really? <laughs> yeah. That's ridiculous. So on turn seven, you play Secret Traveler on like turn six, and then a mirror shepherd on turn seven and grab every planes out of your deck? Uh huh. Yeah, and wow. then you finish it off with one other land from something else. Like it's just it works well. <laughs> wow. Jeez, okay, yeah. Yeah. So a mirror shepherd, great card. Oh, nice picture too. I really like it. I, I I really do enjoy this card. And at ninety four cents, it's it's one of my top picks for the angels. It's a little steep, but if you consider what you're getting, so okay, it costs seven mana and double white. And let's assume you don't play it until turn eight, okay? Because you want to play it with a land, which makes sense. And that lands a planes. So you could consider that this card costs triple white and five if you want to play a planes to get the trigger, but Consider how much it costs to reanimate, right? Without any strings attached. And this is a non-land permanent. This isn't a creature. So the closest card that can do that is Obsidat's Aid, which costs five. Yeah. So for you're paying eight mana for the Amiri Shepherd plus the land drop. But if you consider what you get to do, you get five mana kind of discounted because of the ability. And that means you're paying three mana for a 4-4 four, four flyer that has upside. Mm-hmm. So, yes, it's a little steep, but if you play it properly, you're going to get enough value out of the card that the, maybe the cost doesn't matter as much. It's really a late-game card anyways. You need stuff in your bin. You're not trying to rush this card out unless you've got Sakura Tribe Builder. <laughs> I've never thought of it. That actually blew my mind. Okay. It's so fun. Plus, and people are like, that, angel, oh, my goodness how do you sake. do that? And you're like, ah, you just go like, and then like, that's amazing. Yeah, no, it's a good. All right, third card in here. This is our Dargan. I like this, this one. Part... When, when I saw this in the list, I was like, shit, we should have remade the list. Why? Well, okay, let me let me explain this one. Uh, so, um, blah, 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 Swift Warkite. It's one red, one black, and four for a 4-4 four, four flyer dragon. Whenever Swift Warkite enters the battlefield, you may put a creature card with a converted mana cost of three or less from your hand or graveyard onto the battlefield. That creature gains haste, return it to your hand at the beginning of the next end step. So with this card out, if you've got both Astral Slide and Astral Drift, if you cycle a creature with CMC of three or less, this guy, you can target this guy, right? So he'll 
leave the battlefield and come back in, he can target that creature that you've just cycled, and then you basically just never run out of cyclers. Yeah, uh, that, that was actually kind of what I was thinking. Um, yeah. There, there aren't too many. There's only one or two cards in here that can do that, like Vile Manifestation. But yeah. The idea here was what I was thinking a little more of. You've got something like War Priest of Thune. When it comes into play, you destroy an enchantment. Or, you know, there are a few other cards that when they come in, they destroy artifacts, enchantments, they gain you a little bit of value, whatever. You just keep doing that every turn. Oh, uh, yeah, the, for sure. The Hellkite returns it to your hand. Yep. So the Warkite. So you just keep doing that every turn. And then you can, you know, have like this infinite engine of just blowing up whatever you want. Yeah. it's So, like, it, it's doing double duty here, which is a great thing when your cards can do two things at once. Um, your idea of just blowing the shit out of everything that's awesome but then there's going to be times where you might not have cyclers so this guy can help you fill your cycling back up you know just by casting them over and over again yeah absolutely yeah uh so those are our dungeons dragons angels and demons we break through this emiria shepherd and swift warkite theme three which is my favorite theme name might be my favorite theme name of all of them we've ever done it's close our theme three is the Dying Light Bulb. Nah, this is not as good a theme name as Billy Idol Tribal. That was pretty good. That was theme the three, best one. The Dying Light Bulb, because Dying Light Bulbs flicker. These are the cards that we want to flicker. These are the cards that we want to exile with Astral Slide or Drift and bring back. These are the huge abilities. Again, the deck is filled with them, but we chose three that are particularly potent. Um, I'm going to start with probably my favorite black card i would say uh well at least one of them for edh uh, and that's abhorrent overlord Cards... and the picture on this thing is just like the original picture there, there is a promo version that was released during the pre-release i think yeah. and it wasn't as cool as this one like uh, this like... guy looks like he's just cruising over the battlefield looking around picking his targets and he's like i'm gonna fuck you up and i'm gonna fuck you up <laughs> like the guy just looks baller I love this he card. He's super cool. And like gold-plated armor flying above the battlefields. And like the battlefields are a complete wasteland. Yeah, so and he gives you harpies. He does. Abhorrent Overlord costs seven. Five double black for a six-six flyer. It's a decent stat. When Abhorrent Overlord enters the battlefield, put a number of one-one black harpy creature tokens with flying onto the battlefield equal to your devotion to black. At the beginning of your upkeep, sacrifice a creature. Don't forget that last part. The amount of people who just forget that this card has that clause at the end I, I have like people don't even know that card has the, that last bit of text. It's insane. It's because it's got too many words. Yeah, but you're gonna minimum at minimum get two one one harpies, right? You're not gonna play it when you get that, but that's minimum. But you start astral sliding this thing every turn, but not every turn. Sorry, not every round, every turn. So your turn, your opponent's turn, the other one, the other one, and you can do this four times around. Yep. The astral slide puts them back in at the end of the turn. Yep. And you end up getting, let's say, okay, let's say you just have Abhorrent Overlord. Just, just Overlord, but the worst case scenario. Which means every time he comes into play, you're getting two. Which means at the end of the round, you have eight Harpies. For cycling four cards. That's the worst case scenario. That's let's say you had case. four Black Mana Symbols. Which means you've got, you know, a creature with, you have Kalia in play, and you've got another Black creature in play. Let's say four. I would say you're looking at six is like generally what you're going to have, but four, let's be conservative. Okay, you're getting 16 harpies with flying every single round. <laughs> That's that is kind of messed up. Um, 
if they try to ever target it, you can flicker it out. Yep. Uh, if they try to attack you because, oh, you're getting too big, well, you have Harpies to block. You can also Astral Slide out their creatures. So Abhorrent Overlord's great. This is the card that I will often use in, like, Micaeus to generate, like, infinite Harpies for sack outlets and nonsense. But, yeah, the card's kind of messed up. It's no Villas. Don't get me wrong. J-Rex has got Harpies. He's got Harpies. It's got all the Harpies. Why don't you tell us about our second card here? Or actually, you know what? Can I take the second card? I've played this card in standard forever. Okay, you go nuts. Okay, dang, I appreciate it. You can tell, you might tell us about the third card after, but I really want to talk about this card because this card is a standard all-star. I played this in standard, and it was one of my favorite cards ever, and that is Angel of Serenity. Costs four triple white, so expensive, for a flying 5-6, but when it enters the battlefield, you may exile up to three uh, other target creatures from the battlefield and or creatures from the graveyards. And when it, when it leaves the battlefield, return the exiled cards to their owner's hand. So, one thing you'll notice, this card, like Oblivion Ring, like a lot of the effects like this before it, exile in one line of text and return them in another line of text. So, unlike the new templating for this ability, where it's all in one piece of text, you might not think that's important until I play Angel of Serenity, target three of your things, and then sacrifice her. Before it no, 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 no. You play Angel of Serenity, target three of your things, and then Astral Slider. And then flicker her. Yeah. That's where I'm going here. So you play Angel of Serenity, you flicker her, and then at the end of turn, when she comes back in and retargets three things, you pay your mana to cycle, your one or two mana, and you flicker her again. And everyone's permanents just start leaving the battlefield. Also... You can exile creatures from graveyards, so you can exile people's graveyards if you want to, or you can let her resolve, exile three cards in your graveyard, then flicker her, and return three cycling cards to your hand. That's so good. And you can just keep that going forever. You can, first time you play Angel of Serenity, you take three cycling cards, put them in your hand. This sets you up to cycle Angel of Serenity on her trigger to just exile all of their creatures forever. <laughs> and if they try to target her, you cycle her. This is why Astral Slide is so obnoxious. It is. It's such. It's. I. I. When it first came out, back way back in onslaught, I'm like, this thing's a piece of shit. Why the fuck would I want to do any of these abilities? Like, it's just garbage. Yeah. And then it started dominating everything. And even then, after that, for the longest time, I still couldn't wrap my brain around. Well, why is this good? Like, I had a, an idea, but it wasn't until I really got into EDH and and started like really seeing the value of um, enters the battlefield effects and don't forget when this card was printed there wasn't a hell of a lot of etbs like there was some but not it's not as prevalent as it is now they weren't as good yeah and and that's another thing they weren't as good right so i think this card has just done nothing but get stronger over time i think the only reason it's not like in every white edh deck is because cycling is just a shitty mechanic but yeah that's it's it's definitely one of those sense. skill testing cards that's like, it's not obvious why it's good. Uh, this is the same kind of thing for Sensei's Divining Top or Umazawa's Jite. It's not obvious why these cards are good. In fact, uh, a friend of mine, we, we coined the Jite test. And I think we could do the Astral Slide test too, which is you show a, you show a player Astral, uh, Astral Slide or Umazawa's Jite, and you ask them, is this a good or bad card? Their answer will tell you how, much, how experienced they are in Magic. Because... A lot of people look at Jitte and say, oh, this card sucks. It doesn't give any bonus right away. My creature's just going to die when I attack with it. 
And then they they lose their minds when I tell them that if I was playing a legacy game, I would happily trade my entire board for two counters on Jitte, and I will win that game. Because then the game's over. Like People can see, people don't concede when you play Jitte. They concede when it gets two counters. The game is over. So it's the same with Astral Slide. If you ask them, is this good? They'll be like, oh, I mean, I could like exile their creatures, I guess, or I could exile you know, my creatures, save them from removal. And they miss stuff like Angel Serenity looping. And they miss stuff like exiling your opponent's tokens or preventing them from ever being able to attack you ever again. Imagine, okay, I, I'm going to lose my mind here. You have Astral Slide and Astral Drift in play. You've got the, the magic of both of them in play. You've got an Angel Serenity in play. You flicker Angel to get your three um, cycling cards back in your hand. That means your opponent, if they try to attack you, they have to get through six flickers. So if they attack you with six big guys, all those big guys are gone. Because you just flicker all of them away. And it's not like you're, you've, you've expended spells to do this. You've now drawn three new cards. And then you flicker Angel Serenity again. And then you can flicker another six things. Like, just imagine, now this is like, I would say the worst case scenario of, oh, you're flickering your opponent's creatures. What happens if I'm flickering six of my own creatures? I'm not only doing Angel Serenity stuff, but I'm doing, you know, ridiculous nonsense with things like Aberrant Overlord or our next card. We're just doing so much. This is insanity. Anyway, sorry. Oh, that's okay. I understand. You're, you're a very passionate man. I am. Why don't you take the next card to let me relax a little bit? Okay. So Sunblast Angel, um, this is a EDH all-star. A lot of people play this. It's two white, four colors for a 4-5 flying angel. And when it enters the battlefield, destroy all tapped creatures. So as J-Rock's talking about, well, you know, now that your opponent has to attack into you and he's got to send over six guys to get past the, um, the whatchamacallit, the Serenity Angel, well... Nine times out of ten, when he's attacking, he's got to turn his guys sideways. Mm-hmm. And so now we don't need to flicker out six of their creatures. We just need to flicker our one Sunblast Angel, because Sunblast Angel destroys all tapped creatures. So yeah. it, it's a great card. Um, it's a great card for all sorts of different reasons. If you can figure out ways to tap your, your opponent's guys, then you know this this works good. We were playing a game yesterday. Uh, we were playing against one of the precon decks. I was playing my Abushan Cephalid guy who can tap down all creatures without flying. And um, the opponent had thousand wins, whichever it's when it's whenever it's turned face up, return all tapped creatures to their owner's hands. And so he flipped it face up, put that trigger on the stack, and I was like, "Fuck you! I don't want to lose all my guys. I'm going to make you lose all your guys too." I tapped down every creature that didn't have flying with Avishan's ability, and we just restarted the game. But so these these effects that uh, hit tapped creatures, they come out of nowhere sometimes, and and people are not expecting this ability. It, it's got to be a nice feeling when your opponent with you know a big army is like, hey, I'm gonna go to combat. You're like, fantastic. Um, you can choose whoever you want to attack, uh, and then you just push your Sunblast Angel forward. No, no, you don't push it all the way forward. You just give it a slight nudge. And you get a little nudgy nudge and be like, all right, that's fine. You attack whoever you want to. But just keep in mind, once I flicker the Sunblast Angel, I can't control whose creatures are going to die. You get to control that. Yeah. You get to control yeah. how many creatures you want to attack here. 
This is on you, buddy. So that's a nice little feeling of just like, well, I want to cycle anyways, and I just got the Sunblast Angel sitting around here. I can't guarantee what's going to happen to your entire team if you decide to turn them sideways. Well, you kind of can guarantee. Well, I mean, maybe. But the beauty is you can do this for each player's turn. So let's say you don't want anyone to attack ever. You just go, okay, at the beginning of your upkeep, I flicker Sunblast Angel. You can take your turn. <laughs> and then you just, you just do it for everybody. Yeah. And then now they have to attack. <laughs> or they, so they, they can't attack. Everything will die. Anyway, I think that's just great. It makes me, it makes the, it warms the cockles of my heart. Yes. Um, all right. So those are going to be our three big cards. Of the, that, that's theme two. Uh, we've got, uh, sorry, segment two. Got theme one, call me the dishwasher because I'm cycling. Some nice cycling uh, synergies. Theme two, dungeons, dragons, angels, and demons. These are going to be just some. Powerful cards Kalia can find and, and, and help with. And then theme three, the Dying Light Bulb. Uh, this is going to be Abhorrent Overlord, Angel of Serenity, and Sunblast Angels. Some really powerful cards. Uh, now, we, we, I'm, we're actually going to take a quick break here, a little impromptu break, because i got to go to the washroom, but we will be back soon. Okay, I'm going to go check on the whatever's making all the fucking noise in the kitchen. Welcome back. Um, washroom is great. I know you were wondering. Um, uh, the kitchen, in case the people were wondering, was also okay-ish. Yeah, I like to hear the okay-ish part. Makes, it means you're still living on the edge a little bit. A little bit. So these are going to be our top picks. This is segment three. These are the cards that we look at and think, this really makes the deck. Um, these might be weird kind of synergy cards. These might be cards that are just so obvious that uh, you just need them in there. When, we, when we're building the deck, we often hit roadblocks, and sometimes the card that pushes us over that roadblock, that's going to be our top pick, because without this card, the deck would not have come to fruition. So, Mike, as always, why don't you start us off with your uh, with your top pick? Experimental Frenzy, brother. 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 So, Experimental Frenzy is a new card from one of the new return to return to return to return to return to her uh, allies, allies of, of Ravnica or something? Alliance? Uh, friends of the neighbors of Ravnica. Yeah, perfect. So, yeah. Anyways, Experimental Frenzy. One red, three colors for enchantment. You may look at the top card of your library at any time. To me, that ability alone makes it worth paying for. Then, really? Oh, yeah, for sure. I'm always curious. Wait, you play Telekinesis? Is, right. that, is that what that card does? No, that's not what that card does. Uh, no, that shows you your opponents. Yeah, okay. All right, never mind. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But anyways, uh, you may look at the top card of your library at any time. You may play the top card of your library. You can't play cards from your hand, though. Oh, that sucks. But <laughs> you can pay three in a red to destroy Experimental Frenzy. Now... What happens if we had this sort of scenario going on? You look at the top card of your library. It's a land. And you're like, meh, that's kind of crappy. But you have in your hand a cycling card. So you cycle and get that land up and out of the way, right? Well, then you look at the top card of your library, and it happens to be, I don't know, another dope card, Tectonic Reformation. 
Well, now you just cycle that card out of your hand. So you're using your hand as kind of like the gas tank to get you through the top cards of your deck, and then you can just start casting shit off the top of your deck. Yeah, you can still cycle out of your hand, even with this in blood. Yep. Um, and the good thing about this is that when you feel like, okay, you know what, I've gotten all the value out of this that I, I'm comfortable with, or I have something good in my hand, or whatever, just blow up Experimental Frenzy. You can use Experimental Frenzy, in my opinion, um, as a slow Wheel of Fortune. Yep. Right? It's a seven-turn Wheel of Fortune. You're going to fill your hand back up to seven, but in the meantime, you're still casting stuff off the top of your library. You're still playing um, you're still playing land off the top of your library. So you're not really losing a whole lot. And you're just, it's, I, I think it's a really neat idea for a card. And I was really happy that for a while it was 2DH, and then it wasn't, but now it is again. Oh, yeah. So. Um, do be careful with Experimental Frenzy, though. Only play it when you really don't have anything cool in your hand you want to play. Yeah. Oh, well, you might as well tell this story. So I was going... I didn't know... I don't know if I had permission, but I'm going to tell this story. So the first time... I, I think this is the first time you've ever played this card. Um, I was at the table with you. It was me, you, and a couple of our friends. And uh, you had, like, seven cards or six cards in hand. You had a ton of mana... And uh, you lead your turn off with Experimental Frenzy. And I don't, I, it might have been me or someone else who's like, wow, that's ballsy. Your hand must blow. And you're like, no, my hand's great. And we're like, okay. You play Experimental Frenzy. You look at the top card, you're like, ah, not yet. And then you try to cast the card from your hand. And we're like, no, 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 no. Read your card. And I think what you did that turn was you then just paid for to blow up Experimental Frenzy <laughs> to play your other card. Yeah, whatever. We'll so you played little. a solid eight mana. You said you'd pay four to look at the top card, but you paid eight. <laughs> so yeah. that was that was probably one of my favorite moments where just you played Experimental Frenzy, forgot what the card did, tried to play a card, couldn't, blew up Experimental Frenzy and played the card. There we go. See? And you that was it. fun. That was you fun. I got to play two cards. Eight mana with the top card of library. Yeah. Solid. Anyway. Anyway. All right. My my uh, my top pick here, and apparently Mike has some disagreements here. Well, I don't know if they're disagreements. I'm just I'm curious as to why you chose this particular card. Okay, uh, embodiment of fury. So embodiment of fury is a three and a red for a four three. It has trample. It says lands you control have trample. Landfall. Whenever a land enters the battlefield under your control, you may have target land you control become a three three elemental with haste into, uh, until on a turn. It's still a land. Now, okay, here is why I don't understand. Now, I, I think I, I think I know where you're going with this, and this is actually kind of a neat thing that you're doing. But whenever I look at a card like this, and there's a couple ones like this, there's one for each color as far as I know. Mm -hmm. um, basically, I look at this as part of a, a landfall idea. Like, okay, how are we going to make our land creatures cooler? You know, so maybe... Or, or maybe you're using this in a, um, what's that blink moth, the scary poison blink moth. Ink moth nexus. Yeah, that, maybe that's the one. I don't know. But anyways, you know, now now your ink moth nexus has trample, so I can see uses for it. I am pretty sure I have an idea as to what you're going to do with it, but why don't you tell the people? Okay, so my plan with the embodiment of fury uh, comes down to I want to try to abuse Amiria Angel. Yep, that's so what I thought. My plan was, you play a land, trigger a Myria Angel, and you get a 3-3. Three, three. The 3-3 three, three is a land. You then pay one, you go to the end of your turn, 
pay one, flicker the land. The land comes back in, and it's a 3-3, triggers a mirror angel again. So this gives you a way to, if you really have not too much else going on, pay one mana or pay whatever mana it is to, to flicker. Uh, you not only get to cycle, but you also get to get a 1-1 bird every single turn. Um, it can keep your lands out of harm's way from being destroyed. That was also kind of a big one, um, because you can now flicker all of your lands uh, effectively. You can you can do some some nasty stuff. Also, uh, some cool things you can do would be with the one one birds you're getting and the three threes you're getting. You can always have a bunch of blockers at the end of your turn. Uh, if you so need them, I guess. But basically, it was just so you could create one ones every turn with the Mirror Angel. Nice. You know what? And I'm I'm really proud that you found this card because this is something that you and I had talked about about mm-hmm. you know how how can we make a Mirror Angel a little bit better? And I I think I was having trouble with this, and it looks like you've hit the nail on the head. So kudos to you. It's not super broken, uh, and I think there's better things you could be flickering, but. I I was really dead set on, you know, we did chat about how can we do some weird stuff with the Myria Angel. I know we talked about maybe man lands or something. And then eventually I saw this card and I said, you know what? I know that there's cards like this out there. And just being able to flicker every turn, the land can always pay for itself uh, for the cycling because you just get that mana back immediately. Yep. So you can always just kind of use it to cycle a bunch. It's also a good way to get free cycles out. So it's not crazy, but it's a weird mechanic that I thought would fit the deck. I like it. I like it. All right. You, we mentioned your top pick before, but let's go into a little more depth. Tell us about your top pick, buddy. Archfiend of Ifnir. Um, so it's from one of the Amonkets. I think it's the first one, Amonket. Uh, two black, three colors for a 5-4 flyer, which to me is fairly decent stats. Yeah. Um, it has cycling for two, so it fits our cycling deck. And it has whenever you cycle or discard another card, put a minus one, minus one counter on each creature your opponents control. I forget where I was the other day, and somebody was playing this, and I don't know if they were discarding. I, I had no idea what they were doing, but they were getting so much value out of just wiping out the board with this thing. It is great for that. You put this into like a Rakdos-style deck with a bunch of wheel effects, and it just decimates your opponents. Um, plus, the pitcher's pretty cool. Like, I'm not really sure what he's doing there, but he... he He's up to no good. A really long neck. It's my only problem with the card. Um, yeah, but he uses that neck to to gobble down your wiener. Is that what it's for? Yeah, it's got to be long enough to get the whole yes. thing in, and then he just bites it off at the base. When when uh, when Richard Garfield was going to his devs and he's like, "Hey guys, we need art for this card. It's Archfield of Inier, if if near, don't worry about the name. Uh, he's the wiener gobbler. I need a card for that." Yeah, and then and, and then and one guy had his this. fan fictions. And he oh, just pulled the book out and said, don't even worry, I've already drawn it. <laughs> I've already Seb got McKinnon. it. It was in my nightmares and fantasies at the same time. Yeah. We got yeah. It. No, this is Seb McKinnon, who actually, oddly enough, all of his art looks like nightmare fantasies at the same time. And yeah, yeah. so that makes yeah, sense as to why it. I liked it. Um, yeah, Ar- Archfiend, we, we mentioned him a little bit before, but yeah, cycle three cards. Your opponent's field is gone. Uh, their big things are no longer big. They're small things. Yeah. This is a great way of dealing with indestructible in these colors. This is a great way at instant speed. Uh, also for discard, I mean, you mentioned wheeling yourself. You can also just get wheeled. Like if someone wheels you, you get to give everything minus seven, minus seven, if you have seven yeah. cards. It's, we- 
It's really bad for them. <laughs> and you make fun of my names. Shut up. Dude, yours are bad, but mine, that, I was bad too. But no, so, this yeah. is, I think it's a great car. I, I own two copies. I have a foil one that I ended up purchasing first because nobody had a copy of the non-foil one. Um, yeah, I, I love it. So. And th this is where you can start to see why this deck might actually do some work. Because consider this. This deck doesn't come out the gates very quickly. And it doesn't have a lot of great setup, doesn't have ramp. It, it's When it gets going, it's going. But it, it can be stunted pretty easily. Thing is, you might not be the threat early on. Someone else that might need to be stunted. And if that's the case, imagine this scenario. You have Archfiend of Ifnir in play. You have three creatures in your graveyard with cycling. And then you have Angel of Serenity in play. So every turn, you can go cycle Angel of Serenity with a card. Now there are four cycles in your graveyard. Angel Serenity comes back into play, exiles those three. You then get her out of play somehow. Let's say you cycle her again. That's two minus one minus one counters on everything. Then you return the three back to your hand. And now you can just start looping Angel of Serenity. At the end of everyone's turn, you can cycle a card, cycle a card, cycle Angel of Serenity. And at that point, every single turn, you're putting three minus one minus one counters on all opponents' creatures at instant speed. Every <laughs> turn. And you might be like, oh, that's fine. They'll just kill your Arch, arch uh, Fiend of Ifnir. Okay, I'm going to pay one in a cycle, so he flickers. And he's not he's not coming back, not this turn. No. Good luck. Every For every mana I have, I can protect my creatures with a cycling card. And especially with Angel Serenity nonsense, where I'm returning cycling stuff to my hand, it's going to be real annoying. So this is when you start getting these kind of combinations together, where things get really messy for your opponents, and it starts to become kind of unstoppable. So Ifnir, I like that card a lot. I'm a big fan of that, uh, that top yeah. pick. No, I didn't. Even, I didn't know it was your top pick. I put it into the like the theme picks because I'm like, oh, this card has to be in here. It's insane. No, it's it's dope. It's super dope. Uh, my next card here, this next top pick is going to be a card that I'm also pretty sad that it's not in um in more decks. And I'm going to pose, I would say, a contentious statement. Demon of Dark Schemes is better than Massacre Worm. Yeah, that is a contentious statement and a half. So. Let me tell you about Demon of Dark Schemes, and let me give you my reason for why I say this. Demon of Dark Scheme costs six. Triple black and three. Same as Massacre Worm. Yep. It's a 5-5. Five, five. I think Massacre Worm's a 6-6 six, six or something? Uh, yeah. I have actually no idea what his stats are. Okay. Either way, doesn't have flying. So this creature has flying. Okay? So Demon of Dark Schemes, got flying. It's a good stat line. Costs the same amount. When he enters the battlefield, all other creatures get minus two, minus two until the turn. Same as Massacre Worm, except Massacre Worm's only your opponents. It's a difference. Now, here's where they're different. Massacre Worm's next line of text is, whenever a creature your opponent controls are put in a graveyard, uh, they take two damage, or they lose two life, right? It's pretty that's strong. That's huge, though. That's, that's huge. No, no, don't worry. That's big. pretty strong. That's pretty strong. I'm not going to try to like be like, ooh, but that's kind of like not a great, but no, that's great. I've killed people that way. I've had people kill me that way. It's good. But it's not as good as Demon of Dark Schemes. Demon of Dark Schemes says, whenever another creature dies, you get one energy. And for five energy and three, put a creature card from a graveyard onto the battlefield under your control tap. Instant speed, any graveyard, not once per turn. I think it's so, only four energy. Oh, four energy, sorry, yeah. One, Even two, better. three, yeah, um, like four. So, end of the turn, you can flicker Demon of Dark Schemes. When it comes back into play, it kills a bunch of stuff, then you pay three... 
and immediately return something from a graveyard. You don't do it just once. You can do it as many times as you have energy and three mana. So let's say you have this on turn seven. You can guarantee do this at least two times because you have at least six mana to cast Demon Dark Schemes. So this card turns into an instant way to reanimate your opponent's best stuff for very little cost. And in this deck, instead of just flickering it and making your opponents lose life, which is still good, you can make them kill other stuff and then take that stuff. I would argue, and this is where it, the line is drawn here, if you're playing a black deck and you're looking for a Mask Worm type effect, the two cards that do it are Mask Worm and Demon of Dark Schemes. I think Demon of Dark Schemes is better. Well, I think we're going to have to agree to disagree. I think Demon of Dark Schemes is cool, like, now that you've explained like you know what your reasoning is, it's definitely jumped up in my estimation of you know the value of the card. I still believe the Massacre Worm is better just because Massacre Worm can end games. This like, I, I feel like it, it can end games too. It can, and uh, don't get me wrong, but it's just going to take longer. Whereas a Massacre Worm will end the game that right then and there. If they're so okay, this is this is why I think that the Demon Dark seems better. Massacre Worm is really good against token strategies, right? Or like yeah. little creature strategies, but he's horrible against big creature strategies. Well, Demon of Dark Schemes is good versus both. Yeah, but you can also put in um, Kiki Jiki. Sure, but you could do that same thing with Demon of Dark Schemes. I mean, it's not a, you get two energy for everyone, so then you're getting double the amount of creatures. But yeah, but with two Kiki, <laughs> with Kiki Jiki and two Masker Worms, now they're taking four damage for every one of their four fours or less. Okay, but okay, let's let's put it this way. If you're playing tokens, I like Masker Worm. If you're playing like Battle Cruiser, which I think more EDH is right now, and even if you're not, I think even if you're playing against tokens, I prefer um, for Demon of Dark Schemes because yes, Masker Worm is better against tokens and better against like small creatures. You have to have what you're telling me is you have to have two creatures like Kiki Jiki to make it as like really incredibly potent. Mm-hmm. I think that if you just have both of them in a vacuum. Demon of Dark Schemes is good against tokens because it kills them. And it also is good against the big decks, and it's not useless. Whereas a Massacre Worm, I don't know about you, I play a lot of Massacre Worm, and I'll often find if my opponents are playing like Animar, and if they're playing, you know, Maelstrom, and if they're playing those big, beefy creature decks, I feel really bad because my Massacre Worm kills like two things, and then it's just an enchantment on the field that just does two damage whenever something dies. Whereas your Demon of Dark Schemes kills those things that Massacre Worm would kill, and now those big decks, you can start stealing stuff. Yeah. So, I don't know. I, I think Demon Dark Schemes wins out there for me, and I'm excited to keep testing him and seeing how he does. I've taken Mask Worm out of the decks and put Demon uh, in. Biggest bonus, the cost. Demon Dark Schemes cost $1. Yeah. Well, I remember when this thing was, like, more than a buck. But, yeah, no, Mask Worm is way too expensive. <laughs> anyway... At least a replacement in 2DH, possibly better contentious contentious conversation. But. All right. So those are our four uh, four top picks. Uh, since we already took a break, we're going to go ahead and skip the break we normally take here, and we're going to move right into our segment four. Those are going to be our contested cards. Now, Mike, you have a contested card here, and I'm going to be honest with you. I, I normally try to rationalize why you contest the cards that I choose. I couldn't, I can't even remotely, con- I don't have no idea why you would contest this card. This okay. feels like it fits so perfectly. Uh, yes, it, it would feel that way. So why, why don't you tell us about it? 
Okay. Shadow of the Grave. So this is from Amonkhet. It's an instant. One black, one colorless. Return to your hand all cards in your graveyard that you cycled or discarded this turn. Now, when when Amonkhet came out and all the cycling cards came out, I, I looked at them and I, I toyed with the idea of doing a cycling kind of living end deck type thing. And and I grabbed up on one of these cards and I put it into my, my binder so I'd be ready to build the deck. But I've never been able to find a place for this card. Um, and that's the reason that's my con- my contested card. I personally have not found a place for it in a deck, and I don't know if this is the deck to stick that card. Because the way that I'm looking at the way that this deck is going to work is that we're going to be doing one or maybe two cyclings per turn, right? Mm-hmm. And if we're doing that, like, is paying two to get those two cards back worthy of a card slot? Or is there maybe something else we could put in here into the deck that's gonna do um, that's gonna do a better job? Bag of holding, you know, from our one of our last decks where whenever you discard a card, you put it under. That bag probably should have been in here. That that might have been to me at least a better card than Shadow of the Grave. <laughs> now okay. I don't think Shadow of the Grave is a piece of shit. I honestly don't. I think it's a great card. I just I don't know. I personally don't know how to use it properly. So I'm going to side with you. Uh, I've never used this card well either. Um, I've kind of tinkered around with it. Here's what I think. Here's where I think a lot of people, including myself, have gone wrong. I think the assumption of Shadow of the Grave that most people make is that you need to use this card as an all-at-once, redraw seven, go big card. And I think I that's exactly where my brain goes with it every time. I don't feel like that's what this card is. I feel like, feel like if you look at this card as sign in blood, I think you're doing a better job. If you consider, let's say I cycled two cards that cost one mana each. Yep. I cycle two cards and I draw two cards. And I play Shadow of the Grave. Well, for two mana, I'm drawing back those two cards. So in my mind, I want to, I, I think the way to look at this card is it's a sign in blood that you don't pay life that's instant. Because the two one-mana cards you just cycled, those cards did their job and they got you your cards. The Shadow of the Grave draws those cards back. But not only that, this is a, you know, I, I, I'm not going to say this is a point towards it. I'm just going to say it's a good thing. Uh, if someone Wheel of Fortunes you and you draw this off of it, you, you know, you're, you're doing, you know, the Carlton dance. But mm-hmm. I, I think really the big thing is later in the game... Let's say you haven't had to use it for for that sign blood. This card can turn into kind of a refill of four or five cards. If you find yourself with a lot of mana into a string of, you know, three or four cycling cards you've been kind of keeping around, because we don't want to cycle our cards immediately. We want to wait for Astral Slide. This is like Astral Slide backup of like, I have five cycling cards in my hand. I haven't found Astral Slide, and I really want to cycle these to go find Astral Slide. Well, you cycle them. If you don't find Astral Slide, Shadow the Grave, return them back. That's where okay. I was seeing the card, not as this like crazy thing, but I've also not played it well, so my hands are up. Yeah, and, and again, I think I'm I'm victim of the mentality of well, if I'm casting this, I want to refill my hand with seven cards, mm. and maybe that's just not how that's gonna work. Yeah, I totally get yeah. that. So okay. th- this is us testing. I mean, this is us being like, hey, I don't know, maybe it works. All right, my contested card, 
we're going to talk about that a little later. Are we? Oh, we're, oh, we're going to talk about that a little later. Right. You know what you've done. So, instead, we're going to go jump right into um, our upgrades, our, what is the heck thing, thing called? The, the competitive meter. Yeah. Although the competitive meter's changed since I last saw it, not for the better. Oh, why? Did we did we take out Halimar Depths? <laughs> did we, did we, no, no, no. If we took out Halimar Depths, it'd be a zero competitive Oh, meter. that's true. Yeah, you gotta be, be real no, careful taking out the Helmer. I think depth. we had to take out Library of Lang. That's, that's, that's yeah, that's, that's the card we had to take out. Yeah. But yeah, happens. So this deck is 78% casual. Ooh, super cash. So, so you know what, you know, it's good for your friends. Actually, I'll be honest, this might be the percent that I disagree with the most. I think this deck's actually pretty legitimate. Yeah. To make uh, it like I said at the beginning of the show, like if this is not a bad deck. We went with a, a kind of a theme here with like instead of using instants and sorceries to blow up, you know, enchantments, artifacts, and lands, use creatures so you can flicker them. We kind of went with that theme. I think if you're out there listening, being like this deck is pretty interesting, I like some of the weird stuff going on. To make this really viable, ditch some of the creatures, put in some ramp, put in some good solid artifact ramp, um, and maybe tweak the mana base a little bit, and you're good. Like this is this is something that you could take to a reasonable table, and I think you'd do fine with. Yeah, and you know what? I think we said that at the beginning that we've we've come up with a neat idea, and we have not fleshed it out into being the most you know spectacular thing on earth. But there's a pretty cool skeleton here that you can work with to do other neat stuff with. So yeah, oh, yeah. It, it's casual now, but that doesn't mean it's got to stay that way. Yeah, it's. This is a deck that I'm very happy with. I think this is for a, from for a long time. This is one of our better decks, just because I don't think this deck is as strong as some of the other decks we've done. But this deck has a heart that you can build off really well, and yeah. it's just I feel like we did a really good job of taking those three cards and building around them. Man, we're just tooting our own fucking horns here. I mean, well. we are the greatest. Yeah. So this deck is going to defeat everything. Do yeah. you have problems in your life that aren't magic related? This deck will fuck those problems right up. I mean, yeah, is your boss a piece of shit? Not anymore, he's not. You're going to astral slide that fucker right out of town. <laughs> I, don't, I don't even want to know what that looked like. All right. Yeah. So, uh, this 78% casual, the deck price we've got here is uh, between $37 and $48. So, around, again, around our like $50 mark. It's about, it's about a, the same. It's a pretty vague number. So, so like the top end here, you got forty-eight seventy-five. Um, again, that's if you're paying for like mint conditions. Uh, actually, me, me and Mike were just having this conversation the other day. Um, I, I don't buy mint cards anymore, or like I never really have, and I don't buy foils just because the prices are. I just don't understand why you'd pay more. I buy foils at GPs out of the shitty scratched-up foil boxes. Yeah, I do. I do that because I, I think. That's kind of neat. Like people are like, "Oh wow, you got a foil." Oh Jesus, did, what did you do with that card? And you're like, "Ah, oh, I have been using this to sand stone. I've been using this to spread uh, tar on my yeah, on my yeah. driveway." But when yeah. I'm buying cards online, I I never buy near mint cards anymore. Yeah. I, there's no point. Um, I also feel like, to me, if somebody has played with the card, I just feel like happier about it like someone else has gotten some cool love out of this thing and now it's my turn and i don't know it feels more lived in yeah 
then yeah. it's like a, it's like an antique from someone else. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, yeah. So if you if you want to spend a little less, if you're looking to spend you know ten bucks less, eleven bucks less, you can go for the non near mint everything, and you'll be just fine. If you double sleeve those suckers like I do, if you single sleeve them, it doesn't matter. If they're in a sleeve, you're not going to be able to tell. I have never once in my entire life been playing a game of EDH and grabbed someone's card and took it out of the sleeve to look at it because that'd be kind of messed up. <laughs> yeah. I've never been like, hey, your Wheel of Fortune looks like a piece of garbage. Let me take a look. Yeah. No. <laughs> People don't do that. So if it's in a sleeve, you're fine. Don't worry about it. Buy the cheapest copies. You'll get more cards that way. You get more it's... cards, you'll have more fun. And more yeah, fun. you're right. That's, um, that's... All right. That is a true statement. Upgrades. Upgrades. Upgrades, Mike. Why don't you tell the fine people at home what you want to upgrade to? Why, why don't you just tell the fine people at home what your contested card is? My contested card is your upgrade because one of the two of us has decided to become a quitter. And <laughs> my contested card is that you say the best upgrade for this deck is the other Kalia. Well, it kind of is. It's you're a quitter, and I hate you. Well, That's that... not true. I disagree with that completely. Okay, the old Kalia doesn't even fit into this deck. Well, there's demons and stuff. Yeah, and but dragons. The, we, we mentioned that, like, the old Kalia is all about, like, holding someone and punching them in the face, and this Kalia is, like, like softly kicking them in the crotch for, like, 30 turns. <laughs> it's, well, it's when you different. put it like that, yeah, I definitely want to kick people in the cock over fucking punching them in the face. So, like, the old Kalia... All it tells me is that you're a quitter. This and is a thing that you could do with it. You could stick it in the deck. You don't have to necessarily make it your general, but if you put her in the deck, I don't think that it would be a disservice to the deck. I definitely don't. Maybe having this Kalia, um, the the Zenith Seeker, as your commander is probably, I would say, is probably a better a better fit for this deck than running old Kalia because old Kalia doesn't fill your hand and the Zenith Seeker does. But having her as one of the 99 that she can come out, and she, because let's face it, dude, some of those casting costs, like the Reaper of the Abyss, we'll that's you. huge. That's we'll a massive one, right? Um, and then uh, the other one, the Angel of Serenity, that's also huge. So having her come down and just be a bit of a cheat uh, to get those guys out faster or cheaper, not a bad idea. Now... All right. Did it, I give was, up on this one? I might have. I might have been doing two or three other things. Yeah. If it's part of the 99, maybe I can get along with that. But I I will fight tooth and nail for this, for the old Kalia uh, to live on. Also, this is kind of just a logistical thing. Uh, and I'll, you can call me a coward if you want. Uh, I would not want to play the new, the old Kalia as the head of this deck because the old Kalia is scary and this deck is not scary enough for her. Because, like, 100%. I play the old Kalia... And then people are like, oh, it's a Kalia deck. He's going to, like, rune-scarred demon Razaketh us to death. And you're like, yep. no, 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 And they're, just, you're beat, they're beating you to death. And you're yeah. trying to, like, say stop. So no. I wouldn't do that. I don't have the balls for it. If you're going to play old Kalia, you need to back that shit up. Yeah. Real quick. Like, real quick. It's, it's like wearing gang colors. Like, you, got, uh, you actually have to be tough. Yeah, I am not tough enough to wear gang colors. <laughs> Me neither. At all. So like you gotta you gotta be you gotta have the, the balls behind playing the commander. Certain commanders are like that. Like you, you don't really see like fun maelstrom decks, <laughs> maelstrom wanderer decks. You don't really see them because 
people kind of get obliterated when you try to play Maelstrom Wanderer for fun. They're like, ah, he's got a slow draw. He didn't play 13 mana rocks on turn one. Kill him! <laughs> and then they kill you, and you're like, man, I really just wanted to, like, play elementals, but I guess Man, not. I was honestly playing, like, Hippo Tribal, and then you shit all over that. I was playing Talrand. When Talrand was, like, a huge commander, like, one of the better commanders in the game, I had a Talrand deck that had no win condition other than the, the birds Talrand made, and every single spell in the deck bounced something. It was just a bounce deck. Like, boomerangs? Yep. And I told the deck that. I told the players that, and that didn't matter. I was playing Talrand, and I got murdered immediately, and I learned my lesson. Some commanders come with a stigma. Some bad, some good. So, yeah. Anyway. All right, so um, yeah, I, I, that's my upgrade, Kalia into the 99, not Kalia as the commander, and I may also be a quitter. My my upgrade is Fluctuator. Um, it's it's a pretty strong card. I'm actually Googling it here. I forget the mana cost. I think it costs three. Two. Fluctuator. Um, you're right. So it costs two mana. Cycling costs up to two less to play. I think this card, when I checked, costs like six bucks or something. Um, but this just makes all of our cycling most of them are cycling, cycling free. It's just yeah. UV takes a lot of the, the stress out of our mana. It's a good card. It's good for cycling decks. It's unfortunate there's nothing that exists in a 2DH realm for it, but yeah, whatever. Yeah. So let's play. All right. Um, we're going to jump right into our, our segment five, which is J-Rock's information time. And this is more of an anomaly and I don't know why. And, and, and Mike, I was hoping you might be able to shed a little bit of light on this for me. Why is it that five-player EDH game, games feel infinitely worse than four-player? I have a couple ideas on this one. Okay, you hit me with them, because I don't know. Number one, no one sits at a five-sided table. Sure. So what the way we play it is we play um, two guys sit beside each other. Two other guys sit beside each other directly across from them. That's our four-player game. And then if we have a fifth-player game, we take a fifth guy and stick him at the end of the table. Yeah. So what happens for me in a five-player game is that I am always... I always sit in the same chair when we go to the store. Mm. Um, the fifth player is always so far away from me that I have trouble evaluating his board state because it's far enough away and I don't have the best eyes. Um, so that's one of the reasons. I guess, the second not, in, in, in your each reasons, I want to just make a comment here. Uh, okay. That reason, I can agree with. Also, again, I don't know if this is just me, because I know this can't be true, but it feels like it's true. The fifth player always has the biggest playmat and the most stuff. So <laughs> when they sit down, everyone shuffles over, and their playmat like falls over, and it's on top of other people's stuff. And it's just like they take up so much room. Like maybe I'm losing my mind, or maybe I'm just like so used to four like areas that are kind of like sectioned off that when I'm forced to slide over into a different area, it's just annoying. Well, I mean, but, there is there is less table space, so all of that sort of border space around your playmat, where you might put you know your tokens that you're going to use or your dice or you know just something along those lines, so, it's gone now, right? And so it just feels more cramped. That's so that's that's something. Okay. But maybe that maybe that's it. Also, when they when you have to like shift over for some tables, you have to actually move into like the crossbar. Which is super uh, yes. Yes. Anyway, sorry, that, that was point one. I agree with your point one. What, what, what okay. you uh next thing I have up here is that sometimes um players are not always paying attention to the game. 
And if you've got five people at a table, the increased odds of somebody not paying attention, it increases because there's another person. The other thing is, is that um, some people are slow players and that just, that just fucking irks me anyways. Like you've got all this time in the world to figure out what you're going to do on your turn. The addition of one more card that you drew during your draw step doesn't really mean that you need to reevaluate your entire fucking life. At least and not I, every single turn. Yeah, but a lot of guys do this, and it just yep. it just drives me nuts. So with a fifth player, you have that extra wait time. Um, and if it's a slow player, it's even worse. There's just nothing you can do about that. So that's, to me, you know, the, the two main reasons why I don't like five-player games are, are those two right there. Okay. I had one reason that I thought... I kind of I'm thinking about it while, while we were chatting. Uh, one thing that I find in five-player games, and again, this might be a little weird, I feel like someone dies quicker in a five-player game than a four-player game. Someone just is dead, like, immediately. And I think it's because of the way, the dynamic of the table. Let's say it's me, you, I don't know, Dan and Nick, and we're playing a game. If me and you are sitting beside each other, and, and Dan's uh, sitting across from me, and Nick's playing, sitting across from you, it's pretty well known that I will try to kill Dan, Dan tries to kill me, and you and Nick hate each other. We don't uh, hate each other. Nick and I are best friends. We well, just, I mean, you, you guys are best friends, but at a table of magic, you guys hate each other. Uh, I don't even know try, if that's try to true. murder each other. Yes, that part is 100% true. Okay. We will fuck each other up as hard as we can. They, and, they very much love each other, but at a table of magic, you wouldn't know that. No. no. Uh, and then We're, the same is for me and Dan. Me and Dan get really petty, and we, like, fight each other to the death. Nice. Yeah, I, it's a just Dan. The only person I will ever do that with is Dan. It's fun, though. I enjoy it. But... So it's kind of this thing where, like, you and Nick square off, and you're slinging spells at each other, and you kind of leave the other two players alone. Me and Dan are slinging spells, and we're kind of leaving you two alone. And it's it's this thing where one of us is going to get weak enough on either side of the table that they're going to basically be non-factor, and then the, the table kind of homogenizes into a table again. If yeah, there's a no. fifth person, it's kind of like that can't happen, or else no one's paying attention to that fifth person. That fifth person is going to be the deciding factor on which side wins on those like disputes yeah, and I no, feel like I, that I means someone dies immediately because like one person and I've seen this there's, there's a person who plays at the, the local game store that we play at and they they're known for playing incredibly aggressive they're not the most uh, adapt EDH player because they're kind of new to it but they play super aggressive and that often means the person they're fighting just immediately fights them right yeah you're killing me I have to fight you and then the other two players kind of let them duke it out I've seen this player go super aggressive and the fifth person was worried, so they helped the person who was getting killed, and they just killed him. <laughs> and that happens all the time. So I don't know. Maybe that's just me. It feels like the game is super imbalanced politically. It could be. It honestly could be. Because there's nothing... Like, there's... There's there's no... I don't even know what the word is. But there's this guy who just floats around sort yep. of king-making, right? Like, he's, he's the deciding vote as to who's going to die. And it's weird that that doesn't happen in three-player, I find. In three-player, it almost feels like three separate players. Because there's not enough going on that everyone has to worry about something. It's like, it, it just feels different for, for five players. It's like the board is crowded with five players, and someone's got to go. And yeah. with three players, it's kind of like, you know, the game's a little slower, I find. It's, you know, it's a little more lax. It feels like four is just that beautiful sweet spot, so... Hmm. I don't know. Maybe maybe some of you at home, you know, mentioned us. Do you play five player? I do know a group of people, a group of my friends who play tabletop EDH, so just no rules, just for fun, and they play six people. 
I've played it before where we do like um, uh, Emperor. We've, I've played yep. that, and I've played Star. I really like playing Star. That one's kind of fun. And then there's another one, and it has a name, and it's like <sighs> Secret Person or something along those lines. That's it, Assassin, where you, yep. everybody has like a certain win condition. You have to either kill the king or you know do a thing. That one, I, I kind of like that one. That'd be a fun thing to cover in a future episode one day. Just different ways you could play EDH. Yeah. Because yeah. I think I think the things we just mentioned, a lot of people have no idea what Star Assassin and um, and like Buddy Commander is. Like they have no idea. So. Yeah. One day, yeah. One day we'll look at that. But. Let's let's put that on the to do list. Yes. Uh, all right. So those are going to be our um, those are going to be our upgrades for the most part. Again. So upgrades as well as our, our little information time. Again, 5-player EDH, we don't really understand it. Maybe you guys at home have a better experience with it and you'll let us know. Either way, we're going to go ahead and take ourselves a little break because uh, we have something special for you right after the uh, right after the break. So make sure you've, uh, you've returned for it. All right, we are back, and it is time for segment six, where often we would spin the randomator. But this time, we've got something a little special for you. Mike, you took a little bit more control over this than I did. Why don't you tell the lovely people listening what exactly is going to be happening next week? Well, do you remember when when we built the Lin Civi deck? Oh, I remember that. Yeah, I'd like to forget hard, that. Hard to forget, yeah. Yeah, but it's desperate to forget more like it. But anyways, we had a listener uh, from Reddit who took that deck, took all the featured cards out of it, and rebuilt a, the deck using the featured cards. And they used some of the same cards, but a lot of the not same cards. And we've decided that we're going to have this guy on. His uh, username is Rulonatsua, and I spoke with him today. Um, we're going to have him on next week to talk about his deck and how he used the randomated cards to build... A pretty sick-looking Daxos, the returned deck. Daxos is the black-white commander from Commander 20, I don't know, a while back. 20-something, rather. 20-something, rather. The experience counter one, that whenever he gets experience counters, you can pay a black, a white, and a colorless, and put a creature into play that has XX, and the X is equal to your experience counters, I believe. Yeah, yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah, um... So yeah, I'm actually I'm pretty excited to have this guy on. Like I said, I spoke with him a bit this afternoon. Seems like a pretty cool dude. Um, so we're gonna have him on to just quickly explain uh, what what his idea of the deck was, what his feature card or not his feature cards, what his top picks were, mm-hmm. and then uh, then you and I are gonna take some time and we're gonna take a look at the deck and see if there's anything that we would take out or add. Yeah. And that's uh, that's. It's gonna, gonna be do. interesting. Um, I know. One big difference that we're, we're probably going to have is just metagame preference, and that's going to be kind of exciting, right? The, the kind of enchantment removal, the kind of artifact removal, the kind of creature removal you use is all going to depend on what your metagame looks like. So it will be interesting to look at this person's build, and, and you know we're, we're going to dissect a little bit of it, but it's definitely a sweet build. We've looked at it. It's awesome, and we're excited to kind of talk about not only what we, what we could have done way better that this person had done, uh, but... 
what you know maybe we would change based on our own experience and our own metagame. Yeah. Uh, and and how, at least this will give you an idea to what we you know what we hear when we build a deck, what we think you guys could do is exactly what we're doing with this with this amazing fans deck. Is that we build these decks just like they built the deck. You can look at it and say, yeah, I like it, but maybe there's a few things that I could change here and there, and I really like this card, and I have a foil of this card, and I want to throw it in there. Do it. That's what we're going to do. Yep. So, uh, so, so no randomator this week. Instead, Daxos is going to be coming on to Master and Commander podcast, uh, and we're going to see what we really could have done better. Uh, again, feel free to take any of our decks from the past and try to top them. That challenge is still out there of trying to beat uh, the... Mad Max Lego Vacuum in competitive meter. Uh, <laughs> remember, you remember for the for for, for the, the test here, you gotta keep the heart of the deck for whatever deck you're choosing and keep the featured cards. But you can change some of those featured cards. But you gotta keep our themes and keep our heart. So, um, best to yeah. look at that. Well, you gotta keep the featured cards. Feature you cards, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. You said you could. What I say? Them. I don't remember. You just said you could you could change the features and you can't change the features. You so can't change the feature cards. Uh, if no. I said that, my bad. Can't change yeah. the feature cards. Anyway, so that's going to be it for this week. I want to thank you guys for, for listening from the bottom of my heart. Uh, Mike, you have anything to tell the people before we let them go? Uh, nope. Hope you have a good weekend, folks. And have yourself a good time. Yeah. Well, bye. Bye.